You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? Ah, thinking about gas mileage. You know, changing your oil with a full synthetic oil like Castrol Edge can help your engine get more miles. Right now, you can get five quarts with an STP Extended Life oil filter for only $36.99. Get started on your next job today with the parts you need when you need them at AutoZone or AutoZone.com. Get in zone, AutoZone. Restrictions apply. Welcome to Unexplained Extra, with me, Richard McLean-Smith, where for the weeks in between episodes we look at stories and ideas that for one reason or other didn't make it into the previous show. In the last episode, The Boy Who, we looked at the remarkable and tragic tale of so-called Caspar Hauser, a teenager who, in 1828, appeared one day in the city of Nuremberg after apparently being kept prisoner in an unknown location for most of his life. The story is fascinating on many levels. Firstly, just taken at face value, we have the enthralling mystery of the enigmatic Caspar's true provenance and the question of whether or not he had really been locked up since he was a baby. And if so, was he imprisoned as part of an elaborate plot to deprive him of a noble inheritance or had he simply been locked up for more prosaic, if no less tragic, reasons? Or had he simply just made all of it up? However, if we look a little closer, we also find a much deeper story about human nature, or more precisely, the question, if there is such a thing, of just what the natural state of a human being is. What fascinated people most about Caspar, for those at least who believed he had been locked up most of his life, and consequently cut off from all social influence, was his status as essentially a noble savage as they saw it. Today the concept of the noble savage is widely understood to have reductive, racist and colonialist connotations. In the 18th and 19th century, it was often used as a mistakenly benign typecast for the indigenous people who were encountered in the process of exploration and colonialization. The term is said to have first been used by John Dryden in his 1670 play, The Conquest of Granada, although the concept can be traced much further back to ancient Greece. However, it was philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau who really popularized the term, 
as a way to describe an idea of a human that has not been corrupted by what some might call the modern world and whose potentially perceived savageness should in fact be regarded as an inherently noble quality. Used in this way, the term is problematic because it both undermines and reduces the ideologies and processes of others, not least in regarding them as something primitive, while at the same time, it romanticizes the non-existent notion that there is even something objectively pure about primitive humans in the first place. However, what the concept of the noble savage is really drawing on is the question of what, at base, is a human being. In other words, how much of our behavior is dictated by nature as opposed to nurture? Is the way we think and behave, for example, already inherent within us, or is it something conditioned into us through our exposure to the world? Or as some might put it, are we born pure and good and later corrupted into doing bad things by the stresses and processes of the world we inhabit? Or are we in fact born with original sin, as some might have it, which is to say, born with an inherent compulsion within our nature to do bad things. The archaic Christian notion of original sin posits that from the moment we exist, we contain within us a compulsion to do bad, sinful things. As such, proponents of the idea argue that it is our daily duty to fight this compulsion and the duty of others to help condition it out of us too. It is an idea that you might think holds little sway in what we might describe as mainstream contemporary secular societies. However, in October earlier this year, Catherine Burblesink, a head teacher and recently appointed chair of the British government's Social Mobility Commission, raised eyebrows when she responded to a tweet stating that we are all born bad, with the following tweet of her own. Exactly, original sin. Children need to be taught right from wrong and then habituated into choosing good over evil. That requires love and constant correction from all the adults in their lives over years. Moral formation is a good thing. Putting aside the minefield of who determines exactly which behaviours of ours should or shouldn't be considered sinful, Burblesing's comment, although no doubt well-intentioned, coming from someone with significant influence in terms of shaping and asserting the prevailing attitudes of children, is hugely controversial to say the least. Perhaps Burblesing doesn't actually believe in the literal existence of original sin, but rather is simply alluding to the idea as a way to frame the role of the teacher as an assertive influence, someone whose principal job is to actively provide children with the tools and attitude that will best help them succeed in later life. Burblesing's remit at the Social Mobility Commission, after all, is mainly to try and help children who have struggled with certain systems of education due to a perceived lack of discipline and opportunity. So in some ways, maybe framing things within the context of original sin is just a mechanism with which to highlight discipline and a strict moral code as being things that she considers key to a pupil's success. 
Or even if she does in fact believe in the literal concept, who's to say that when this idea is applied to educational processes by someone who holds it to be true, that it doesn't have a positive impact on the future successes of their pupils? I've not seen the studies that might prove otherwise. Far be it from me, someone with no experience whatsoever of teaching, let alone teaching children with difficult and chaotic lives, to insist on how best to educate them. And no doubt there is a lot to be said for being realistic about the world in which children are going to find themselves as adults, and that ultimately, having qualifications or a sense of purpose and direction, however that is instilled, is what's fundamentally important. But what jars about Burblesing's appeal to the notion of original sin is the implication within that idea that if there is something inherently inarguably wrong with us that must be fixed, there must therefore exist a state of being that is inarguably the right way to be. But who exactly gets to decide what that right way to be is? And what if the problem is not that we aren't right for the world in which we find ourselves, but rather that the world is not right for us. Should we be focused on conditioning people so they can better prosper in the world they find themselves in, or should we instead give them the space to recondition the world? We often talk about how the advent of streaming has revolutionised the way we engage with audio and visual content, placing countless numbers of films, TV shows and music tracks at our fingertips. But did you know this has also been happening for books too? Described as the Netflix for books, Scribd is quite simply the largest digital library in the world and all of it accessible from your favourite device. With Scribd, you get instant access to millions of e-books, audiobooks, magazines and more. As a user myself, Scribd has been invaluable for me as a resource, giving me access to a huge range of sources that have helped inform many of the stories featured on Unexplained. Enjoy instant access to Scribd's entire library for less than the cost of a single book and discover must-read new work from celebrated authors like Roxane Gay, Charles Yu and more, premiering exclusively on Scribd. Right now, Scribd is offering our listeners a free 60-day trial. Go to tryscribd.com slash unexplained for your free trial. That's T-R-Y-S-C-R-I-B-D dot com slash unexplained to get 60 days of script for free. Burblesing's tweet regarding original sin and Caspar Hauser's story put me in mind of the allegory of the cave as presented by Plato in his famous work, Republic. The allegory is a hypothetical situation in which a group of people are chained to a wall at the back of a cave where they live their entire lives. Their only sense of the world that exists outside the cave comes from a series of shadows that are projected onto the wall opposite them from that world. To the people inside the cave, therefore, having no idea that this outside world exists, They don't understand the shadows on the wall as consequential reflections of it. The shadows and the cave in which they live is their entire world. So anything they conceive will eternally be limited by this small, narrow band of information. Any achievements and accolades they might award each other 
who is the best at counting the shadows, for example, would only ever be impressive to those that also exist in this restricted state of being. The allegory has been interpreted in numerous ways, but serves essentially as a metaphor for the way in which we mostly exist within the framework of an established order of things, all the while, unbeknownst to us, there could be a whole other world of possibility and knowledge beyond what we know, a greater truth, as it were. What struck me about Casper's story in this sense was having found this supposedly pure human, unblemished by social conventions and mores, just how quick his guardians were to change and mould him into something that would be acceptable to their concept of what the world should be. In a way, he had been brought out of one cave, only to find himself in just another, albeit more sophisticated one. I think in many ways we create the same problem whenever we assert that there is a fixed, inarguable way to interpret the world, with ideas like original sin, for example. I'm often fond of saying that I don't believe we are born good or bad, or indeed that humans can ever be said to be objectively good or bad, or even evil. I believe humans merely act, and it is us who then ultimately ascribe to those acts moral labels such as good or bad. Furthermore, such labels are in constant flux due to not only being relative in terms of the prevailing attitudes of any one time, but also being forever at the whim of our many varied and conflicting personal points of view. All that being said, if we did want to use Caspar Hauser's story as a case study on whether humans are indeed born bad with original sin and in need of instruction on how to be good, we might find some of the ways in which Caspar behaved before his effective conditioning began quite revealing. His affection and empathy towards all living creatures, for one thing, if he had indeed come to this instinctively, without any influence from the outside world, is a behavioural trait worth noting. His lack of shame at his naked body is another, this shame being something he only acquired after being exposed to the modern contemporary society of the world he suddenly found himself in. And lastly, an anecdote not mentioned in the episode that struck me as especially sad. From the moment that Caspar first arrived in Nuremberg, much like a young child, he was especially drawn to bright, sparkly things, like the uniforms worn by local soldiers, but also the bright, colourful clothes that were often worn by the women in the city. He liked their clothes so much, he is reported to have said he would have preferred to have been a woman, just so he didn't have to conform to the standards of what a man should be, and so he could wear the clothes traditionally worn by women of the day in a way that was acceptable to the world. If you enjoy Unexplained and would like to help support us, you can now do so via Patreon. To receive access to ad-free episodes, just go to patreon.com forward slash unexplainedpod to sign up. Unexplained the book and audiobook featuring 10 stories that have never before been covered on the show, is now available to buy worldwide. 
you can purchase through Amazon, Barnes & Noble and Waterstones, among other bookstores. All elements of Unexplained, including the show's music, are produced by me, Richard McLean-Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplainedpodcast. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. Find great brands like Kohler at your local showroom or visit us online at ferguson.com build. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter.